To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Russ Carone. Uh, I really like Russ as a human being. He's an amazing bow hunter, and um, I've had him on the podcast uh, at least a couple times before. I think I had him on Flycast once, but um, I always keep in touch with him, and I just really like this guy. So we had a great conversation. So. Uh, this is going to be a bit dated since I killed my moose. I think we recorded this before I killed my moose, so you guys can hear uh, you can hear me in the middle of my struggle. But um, uh, also, since we recorded this, not sure if Russ has released it yet or put it out on his social media. I'll have to check, but uh, he killed a giant late season buck. So a lot of our conversation today centers around hunting mule deer. Uh, killed a great buck in the early season. Then he killed this great buck in the late season since we recorded just this amazing deer during the rut. And so uh, we kind of dive into that and just talk overall bow hunting. Um, so it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Zamberlin. Uh, man, I love these Zamberlin shoes and boots. Uh, they just don't cut any corners. They don't compromise in any of their quality as far as the materials they use, the craftsmanship. I mean, they take each booty, each Gore-Tex booty, waterproof booty, and they test each one in water to make sure every boot uh, doesn't leak. And, and I've noticed it in my shoes and boots. I've never had a pair of shoes or boots stay waterproof longer than Zamberlin's, but I just love their offerings. They've done a lot of these shoes now, which you guys know, I love the lightweight shoes. So, uh, the 215th Salute GTX RR is my absolute favorite. Uh, but they have a couple that are real close to that. They have the, the free blast, the Anabasis. I've used both of those this year. They've done great for me. They also have like a low height, like a hiking boot that are made out of that same Anabasis, that same Free Blast. And then they also have the lower cut shoe, which I enjoy. Uh, f as far as a boot, um, I really like their 320 Trail Light Evo GTX, a great lightweight mountaineering boot. Uh, and they have all other offerings. Like a lot of this, these these boots and shoes come down to personal preference. And they have so many different options from late season boots to shoes to mid-height boots. And uh, just the highest quality craftsmanship. Uh, just couldn't be more impressed by what they offer. So if you're in the market for some new boots or shoes, uh, make sure to go check out Zamberlin. I also want to thank Matthews building the best shooting bows, man. That V3X did so good for me this year. And so they just launched their brand new 2022 bow for November. Uh, I watched the video on it the other day. I haven't received mine yet, uh, but uh, I can't wait to shoot it. The way, I mean, there's some, some numbers that they're dropping as far as 37% less vibration. Uh, somewhere in the teens, I think it's like 15% less noise. Like already the V3X was the best shooter for me and to approve upon an already awesome model is amazing. That research and development team is, um, they're, they're just uh, worth their weight in gold. They have the, the bridge lock technology this year with stabilizers, which is great. 
uh, a bunch of improvements. I can't wait to shoot one. Like these things are going to be so forgiving, so accurate. They picked up some performance as well on them. Same riser length as the V3X. Just an amazing bow. I can't wait to get my hands on them. So if you guys are in the market for a new bow, make sure to go check out and shoot uh, that new Matthews. And thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank Black Ovis. I'm so impressed. It's an internet retail store, and Black Ovis, uh, they have a great name brand. Like, I was checking out their sleeping bags. My buddy Dylan has their puffy pants. Uh, they just have a great name brand, as well as carrying all the other top name brands. So, uh, whatever you need for your hunts, they have it for you. Uh, make sure to go check them out. You can also save 10% by putting in the code ELEVATED10. And uh, save, save some cash on your order. Um, so a great company, all hunters as well. I've been using their game bags. I also really like those. So um, if you're in the market for anything for your hunts, make sure to go check out Black Ovis and use our code ELEVATED10. I also want to thank Camo Fire. So uh, my buddies Dylan and Dan are always on this Camo Fire. They had uh, some, some brand new goose down booties they had got. I think Dylan ended up getting those um, puffy pants that I mentioned. He got those off Camo Fire. You can just save a pile of money. They have 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours that are highly discounted. Uh, so you can check them out, download the app, make sure to check them out at CamoFire.com. And man, with that, um, check out what we've got at Eastman's that, uh, mule deer course is doing really well. Uh, I think it's helping a lot of guys with their mule deer hunting where you can, you know, just cut your learning curve down. You can learn 10 years worth of mule deer hunting knowledge, uh, you know, in 10 days, or if you can make it, make your way through a hundred videos that quick. But, um, yeah, I'm really proud how we put it together. We're continually adding to it. I filmed a bunch of stuff this season that we're adding into the course. So really proud at how that came out. Uh, check out our Beyond the Grids. Just had a brand new episode drop. It's a late season Montana hunt from uh, last year. I think it turned out really good. Uh, really proud of the way the film turned out. You can check that out at Eastman's Hunting TV on the YouTube. And um, yeah, I think uh, we also have uh, the show on the outdoor channel, Eastman's Hunting TV. And check us out there. The magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, and then we also have Tagnet Hub, our internet research tool, so uh, you can check all those things out. Um, just go to eastmans.com uh, and, and uh, have all those links available for you. So with that, uh, man, I'm kind of missing out on some of this late season November muley hunting. Uh, I had a great trip out and chased some muley bucks around and um, was sure close on them and, and uh, I'm sure missing some of this rut. I've seen some great bucks hitting the dirt. My buddies have been getting into some great hunting. So I uh, just got to get my house moved here. I've been uh, working away. We're trying to finish up a couple homes and um, hoping maybe I can get out, maybe sneak out for a day over Thanksgiving or something and chase some bucks around before my Montana tag is up. And, um, yeah, maybe squeeze in a trip in December or something like that. So, um, looking, uh, looking to the future to get some more hunting in. I knew this time was coming. I had a great season with a bunch of great adventures, but man, do I love chasing muleys during the rut. Um, but that'll, uh, that's nor here nor there. Uh, we'll try to get after them here, uh, later in the season and, uh, then start looking towards next season. So, uh, uh it's just been an amazing bunch of adventures and, um, bunch of great time with family and friends. So couldn't be more pumped, uh, um, on that, but great podcast, uh, really good conversation with Russ Carone, uh, consider him a good friend and, um, 
I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yeah, that's no fun. I hate seeing the little ones when they're feeling down like that. Yeah, it's rough. So we didn't get a whole lot of sleep, but that's just part of parenting. (laughs) Sleep deprived, right? There's a reason the military uses it as like a form of torture. Like it's rough when you're sleep deprived. It sure is. You know, it's it's a little harder to function, but it's uh, definitely a thing in September these days for me. I'm just like running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I I'm either hunting, working, taking care of kids or taking care of the farm. It's not a minute to sit down. So, oh, I know it. Uh, I've been running myself ragged as well. My wife looked at me the other morning and said, you got some huge bags under your eyes. And I'm like, I don't doubt it. Like I just, I have, uh, it's, uh, I've been a bit sleep deprived too. Just like, you're just trying to make the most out of season and, um, trying to get work done and family done. And then also get hunting done and so much time on the road. Uh, yeah, it starts to add up on a guy. Yeah, it sure does. I have an orchard, a peach orchard, and I kind of neglected it this fall, but I was out there mowing and weed whacking with a headlamp on. I mean, it's just, you got to get it, kind of get it done. No rest for the weary. No, just running ragged. Well, congratulations on your season, dude. That was an awesome buck you harvested. Oh, thanks. You know, I was on, I found some giants. Um, I hunt the same unit here every year and I try not to take anything that's younger and the goal is always 180 um, or better. And I found five of them. So I was like, holy crap, this is going to be a good season. But I was also pretty limited. I don't know if you remember, but I broke my ankle pretty badly in late March and had surgery in April. Um, I had 18 screws put in. And the doctor said that it'd be like a year recovery and six months till I could have some resemblance of my former self. And that would have put me at October one. Um, so I just got after it. I got a really good physical therapist. Um, and he, he got me walking like four weeks early. Um, so I walked at eight weeks instead of 12. And, um, the season I knew was just going to be a little bit different this year. I had some limitations. It was just, um, pain, mobility. Um, it blew up on me pretty good. So getting a boot on was a little tricky, but I, uh, I can actually access the area that I hunt bucks with a ATV and then hunt from that. Um, so that was kind of a blessing that I had that and the country's pretty damn steep. So I'd be kind of selective on where I could go, but it was good. It was fun. Um, made the most of it, had a couple blown stocks and a couple wind swirls, some really bad conditions. What was it like up in Montana this year? Did you, in early September, did you have a heat wave? Yes, we did. Yeah, the heat came in early September. So yeah, it got hot, which um, definitely brings down activity. And um, 
Yeah, it was a scorcher there, which also makes it like dry and crunchy out, tougher to stalk and sneak. And so, yeah, no shortage of challenges. Yeah, I remember your ankle, man. That was wild. Uh, I remember your motivation was to hunt this season. That's why you were working so hard. Um, but, man, it's just brutal to have to deal with the limitations, mobility, and then uh, the constant pain. You know, it had to be a real challenge to have limitations because usually – I mean, I'm sure you went like a wild man this year and did everything you can do, but usually you have no limitations. You go so hard. Yeah, that's exactly true. I mean, I I feel like in terms of hunting skills and assets, physical fitness is always one of my um, best or most important assets. Um, and I'm determined. That's that's probably number one, but physical fitness is number two, and shooting's way down the list. I need to get better at that, but... Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I had the cards stacked against me this year and I just wanted to get out and hunt and I made it happen. I still ended up hiking about 80 miles, um, probably did 40,000, 50,000 feet of elevation in September. So I got out quite a bit too. I got a new job this year. I became a firefighter EMT and, um, had a little bit more time than what I had as a teacher. So that helped. I got like 15 days after mule deer and I hunted elk for three days. So a little lopsided on that. I'm sure you feel the same way about mule deer based on everything I've ever heard about you, but um, I'm just obsessed. So (laughs) my wife, my wife likes elk meat a lot more than mule deer meat. And I ended up shooting a buck and only hunting elk for three days. So she's like, ah, dude, would have been nice to shoot an elk. Maybe spend a little time doing that, but. Oh, those those early season mule deer eat so good with some fat on them too. I don't I don't know. I almost prefer mule deer over elk meat, but um, you know, I guess it yeah. just depends like well, what part of the country too. And and everybody has a a certain taste they like. And elk definitely eat good. Like I definitely um uh, cherish all my elk meat as well. But um, yeah, those early season mule deer seem to eat pretty good with the fat on them. Yeah, I agree. Um, I say that all the time to people that raise their eyebrows at me when I say that I like mule deer meat. I'm like, really? These are rifle hunters that say that. They don't like it. Um, and I've definitely noticed that it's there's a different texture. There's a different taste um, in November mule deer that I shoot with the bow. Um, but, yeah, I really love early September mule deer. I ended up shooting a late one, and it's still really good. So I shot actually – that buck in the last 10 minutes of daylight in the last day. Um, I went out on elk that night and got out after work, beat feet up the mountain. And, um, it was just a mud pit where I usually go and hunt elk close to work. And I turned around. I'm like, well, I got one more spot to look and I've got two hours. So I hustled in there and there's a good chance of seeing either elk or deer in that spot, but you never know. And I hadn't scouted it or hunted it. And I just ran into that buck and he had some age and, um, he had a good frame, kind of bad genetics, but, um, he's a great last day, last minute buck. Oh, he's a great buck for any time of the season. Yeah. Congratulations, man. I love those big old heavy ones. And, 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 you know, part of it too, is like the, the management you put in place, like in the places that you're hunting, like, um, letting those bucks get another year of growth under them is, um, uh, so paramount to like growing big mature ones, you know, and, and 
sometimes it's easy to think that we're not making a difference or to think with a bow. It's easy for me to say, oh, well, a rifle guy will kill him if I don't, you know. But the, the truth of the matter is, is there's only so many bucks in each age class. And so every year you can pass them and let them grow up. It's just going to make that area better and better. So have you noticed over the years after implementing that, you know, your 180-inch rule or your big mature buck rule that uh, you're seeing more of them? Absolutely. Um, where I hunt, like I said, there's ATV access, but it's pretty damn steep. So a lot of guys, and I, I, this is maybe a secret that I don't know if I want to say, but in these ATV areas, um, a lot of people think, oh, there's probably not good bucks there or bulls there because there's just so much motorized traffic. But if you can find an area that's got some really gnarly country attached to that, um, you can find some really good animals because those ATV areas attract, I don't want to say lazier people, but a certain type of hunter. And um, they're not going to get off the ATV trails, but I noticed that they, they all just hunt off their ATVs and side-by-sides. So I get off those trails and I hunt the really steep country and shale slides and cliffs and... I've noticed over the years, I've hunted there for, I guess, six years now, um, that I will see the same bucks year after year, and they do get bigger, obviously, and that's why I kind of have that limit. And my goal, bow hunting-wise, is just to shoot a good Pope and Young mature mule deer, um, score kind of independent. But in that particular area in this state, I try to adhere to that 180 or better because i know what's possible i have a buddy that hunts it the same way and he shot a 210 this year uh, two years ago he shot a 195 um so they're they're out there i saw two bucks over 200 this year and um four uh three in the 180s so they get bigger every year that's for sure well yeah and you're your goals seem to to match like the possibilities of an area and i'm the same way it depends on the tag that i'm going to draw some tags that i draw you know 150 160 inch five-year-old deer is the goal and something that's going to get me really excited and then you know i'll draw tags where i know i have the possibility of 180 or a 200 inch buck and in those areas i'm going to hold out and um you know i i harvested enough bucks to where i don't need to kill one and to have the opportunity at some next level buck like that is is amazing just to be able to hunt one of that size you know uh, uh or, or or even harvest one you know so yeah i'm the same and um i really agree with you like in that in those roaded areas it's amazing the hunting you can find in roaded areas in fact you know where i killed my bull this year was this roaded unit and i'm always the one to dive deep into the wilderness deep into the backcountry, but the the competition in there is all the guys you run into are hardcore backpacking guys that are willing to put in miles or you run into guys with horses that can travel those trails and so you run into a lot of hardcore hunters and i find the same thing that it's like a like a hidden oasis in this roaded country which is still big country and you're right it's just like human nature is, is guys get on the four wheelers or get on the side by sides and once they get on them, they don't really get off them, and they they just tend to to ride around on those things and um, try to bugle from those things or try to glass from those uh, from those vehicles. And so in turn, it makes for like these great 
like little hidden backcountry spots where there are no roads in there and you can see it on a map or you can see the 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 country that doesn't have any roads in it and then you disappear into the middle of that country and and I don't run into nearly the competition or the hardcore hunters in there it seems like I have it you know to myself or on my own and you know I I've been implementing the same the same tactic you're talking about but I'm I'm going to do it even more so like it's amazing the quality hunting that that I can find in that in that roaded country and not that you don't have good hunters in there not that you don't have guys that'll go hard uh there's just fewer of them it seems like it's the the crowd that that country attracts and the the backcountry guys don't like to go there because it seems like there's a lot of hunting pressure it you're running into trucks on the road and you're running into guys but really once you get off those roads and even just separate yourself a mile you really have a lot of that country to yourself and you're so efficient in roaded country like using your vehicle or your four-wheeler as a tool uh to access country and then you know if you blow up the elk in there or if the hunt's no good, you you don't have to hike 20 miles to a new spot. You can really just use your vehicle to travel three to five miles down the road and access a brand new spot that you haven't touched. And so it makes you like really efficient in a two, three day time window or even a five, you know, any time window for that matter, just because you can switch areas so easily. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think that's maybe the golden ticket these days on heavily hunted or heavily pressured units. I mean, I'm hunting a unit that's a zero or one point draw. Um, and most of the units pretty accessible. There used to be some places that I'd go into six, seven miles and there's only a few of them, but, um, around, but I'd go in there and I'd hunt elk, I'd hunt deer. And over the years, I just started running into more and more people over there. So I was like, well, wonder if I can find some easier places that, have less people so and that's worked out pretty well yeah it's it's amazing these high pressure areas how much good hunting there is in there too and how much country there is like um you know one of the spots i'm hunting is one of the highest pressure spots in the state and um gosh you just get a mile off that road and it sure doesn't feel like it anymore and then if you can implement like some of my my backpacking tactics in there it's like nobody is backpacking in that country everybody's day hunting everybody's hunting from a rig or using the roads and everybody's glassing from these roads too and it seems like you know everybody can stick a spotting scope out the window or binos out the window but it seems like the moment there's a deer and elk that somebody can see from a road you know they go in there and they chase it and they bust it out of there. And those animals learn pretty quick where they can be and where they can't. And so, you know, it's like they start to uh, get used to uh, these these areas that they can get glassed up in. They get chased out of real quick. And so they find the areas that are tougher to glass, the areas that are tougher to access. And then that's where they make their living. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty crafty and um, – such great instincts and they just feel that human pressure they know humans are predators and we're after them and so if they get bumped out of a spot it's almost like they realize they don't want to be in that spot anymore and even you know high pressure deer areas i've noticed you know that definitely the mule deers uh you know those big bucks their guards down during the rut but i still find that a big mature four five six year old deer you know he's not going to be right in the middle of all this roaded area like sure he can make a mistake and you can catch a a big buck in in one of these spots traveling looking for does but for the most part i find that these big bucks 
they they find rutting grounds where they don't get pressured, where guys don't get into, and then they rut the does in that area. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's like a great tactic in this today's day and age of hunting is to find these high pressured spots or these spots that have good access. And then if you're just willing to get out and hike and put on the miles uh, and get in between some of these roads or find where these animals are pressured too, you can just find some dynamite hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. To piggyback on that, I think just getting a different angle um, is so important. I, I've even noticed over the years going back to seeing the same bucks year after year. Um, I'm one of the only people that glasses from a certain place. And I kind of use that as my main hub for starting the day every day. And you can, it's a master advantage. You can see quite a bit. And over the years, I've seen less and less deer from that spot. Um, but I've also seen the same deer every year. So I'm pretty sure they're catching on to me this year. I noticed that like a lot more so than normal. And, um, I realized that about 10 days into September and I'm like, you know what? I need to start hitting some different angles. Um, so I went into some oddball places to glass where you can't see everything, but you can just see like some places that you couldn't see from the main glassing point. And, also just a little bit more secondary living, um, especially that time of year. So that panned out pretty well. I found a 200 inch buck, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, he's about, I think it was seven or 800 feet off the top from where he was in the summer. And he was living in a shale slide and in a place that you couldn't glass other than from one particular spot. So, I made a stock on him. I dropped in and it was like two miles away. So I looped around, dropped in on him and I was kind of an idiot. I sat way too close to him. Um, the vegetation is pretty crunchy up there this year. So stalking him in that subalpine, um, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get very close. So I gambled and I thought maybe I could set up where he'd come out in the evening on a feeding feature and, the wind was great all day. Uh, thermals were really strong. There wasn't much of a directional. And I figured that if he came out before the thermal switched, that I had a really good chance. And if the thermal switched, I'd back out a little bit. Well, he came out right when the thermal switched, like they like to do, and caught me, busted me at like 120 yards and never saw him again. But I wouldn't have found him if I didn't look from a different kind of oddball type of place. I had to look through some trees on a dark timbered slope, 45 degree slope and had to hike down into it and turned them up. So yeah, I think that's, that's just huge, especially in the country that I hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know, some of these areas I'll, I'll hunt, um, uh, you know, local guys will see my truck or they'll see me hunting a drainage and they think, oh, I, I know where Brian's hunting. I'm going to hunt in there for elk or for deer. He's hunting a good spot. But a lot of it isn't the location that I'm hunting. It's how I hunt it. It's, it's like you're saying. It's finding those master vantage points, which can be a rock outcropping. It can be a ridge line. It can be uh, – I may have to lose elevation and look up at it, but – a lot of it isn't the exact drainage I'm hunting or the location I'm hunting. It's it's the vantage points that I find that show off that country. And then it's believing in those spots, too. Like, glassing is almost a state of mind. Like, a, 
It it totally. takes a while before you really believe wholeheartedly in your glass and in these vantage points and in seeing those animals. And somebody could even walk up on my vantage point and, and glass around, give it a look, not see anything, and keep moving down the ridge and keep hunting, trying to locate something. But when you believe in these vantage points and you can see so much country, then I sit down at the right times and I'll spend an hour there picking it apart. And it's amazing how a big bull can just creep out of the edges of the timber or a big buck can just creep out and you just catch, you know, a flash of him or see him for a minute or two and then he's back in the timber. Like they're they're so crafty and stealthy, like in the locations that they're living. And it takes really sitting on those vantage points at the right times and, and picking it apart to turn up those critters. And so, you know, when you're when you're hunting an area it seems like the more you hunt it, the more you discover about it, the more you find these these vantage points and these places that you can set up and really pick it apart. And um, sometimes, you know, I love a master vantage point that shows off a bunch of country, but it seems like in today's day and age, in this pressured world, like sometimes it's um, like a, a little – uh, like a smaller canyon or it's a, a smaller spot. And so some of my vantage points aren't looking over this master vantage where I can see everything. I'm almost in this tighter canyon where I can only see a handful of meadows, but I believe that there's a buck in there. or I believe that there's elk in there. And looking at these smaller spots, you know, not as many guys, you, you can't see the master vantage point. So it's a, a bit tougher to sit there for a long period of time looking at a smaller spot. But do you find that as well, that you're finding these these deer or these uh, game animals like in these smaller locations and smaller drainages where it's not always a master vantage point? Yeah, after the first weekend, I feel like that's almost always the case. Um, occasionally, you'll see them where you're seeing them in the summer or scouting, um, but yeah, after that first weekend and the pressure that comes with Labor Day weekend, um, yeah, they'll be in those spots. And a lot of the bucks that I'm hunting become timber bucks, like, after day two. And this year was pretty rough for me because I had the first eight out of ten days off in September. Um, and it was like 85 degrees at 11,000 feet every day. The bucks were feeding at first light, and they'd work their way into the timber at first light. Um, so if you didn't catch them within that first five minutes, they're in the trees. And then you couldn't stalk the trees because there was no wind, and it was like walking on potato chips. Um, so if I had a little bit of wind or a little bit of moisture, it would have been pretty great hunting, but just wasn't the cards that I was dealt. So kind of stuck to the game plan and got after some of these oddball glassing points and i had three ish opportunities at some just really great deer and they didn't pan out but the, the plan worked i just didn't get my shot i mean i did i got to like uh 48 from a 190 facing straight away um actually that was the first day that we got some moisture uh we got rain for about a day and a half and right when that cleared i was like okay i know this buck's living on this finger heading down the mountain um haven't gone in haven't seen anyone go in he's probably bedded on that finger so i just took my boots off and stalked and with it's actually that was one of the few benefits of my ankle being kind of jacked up i had to go so slow compared to what i normally do um that it actually was 
helpful to the point where I walked into that bucket like 12 yards, almost stepped on them. And in the aspens this year, the vegetation was like um, two, three feet tall with some areas that were four feet tall. So he was just tucked into one of those spots and I couldn't even see his tines with that big of a rack sticking up out of it. So he heard something or sensed something, kicked up out of his bed, ran straight away from me downhill and stopped at 48. I ranged him, I draw back and he looks right, he looks left, looks right, looks left, and then just walks straight away from me. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of a heartbreaker, but um, yeah, I just, I tried to stick to the game plan and the cards just were not stacked in my favor, but in the end it worked. So it was, it was, it was a fun September for sure. Yeah, you uh, you wouldn't think a uh, a broken ankle would uh, help you out, but it is like moving quiet and stalking is all about the speed. It's all about slowing down. So yeah, I can see where the where the pain would make you slow down even more. But yeah, uh, that's pretty close to a giant mule deer. But sometimes that's what it takes is knowing where a deer is and then still hunting into him. And just like you find that pressure of Labor Day and those bucks timber up these animals really feel the pressure and like the the elk i was hunting this year um you know elk need that meadow grass like uh 50 yards in any habitat change so on the meadow side and in the timber side there's five times the biodiversity than in the center of the meadow or in the center of the timber and so those elk definitely need that nutrition but you know and so i've always believed that you know i glass elk up in the meadows first light last light and then i hunt them in there but i'm just finding in this high pressured area um that these these elk are are really timbered up and even at first light like they're coming to these meadows at night and in the dark and they're still feeding them but they just know that hunters are after them and by the time first light hits they're already in the timber timbered up so you know it's like um you know for these elk like i just have to go in and have to hunt them in that timber you don't get a chance to to hunt them and so i'm hunting them a lot on their bugles or on their on the their noises or sounds that they make on sign and I'm hunting with a good wind and it's really tough to move slow for miles you know it's like way easier to slow down once you start getting into them and it seems like that elk it's it's just knowing when to slow down there like there's a time you have to keep up with the herd and, and try to follow them to where they're going to bed but then when you start getting close you have to really slow down and see those elk before they see you and same thing with with still hunting a mule deer like as they get into that secondary living um, and, and I've noticed that they're getting into it earlier and earlier. Like there's uh, hunting high country mule deer has become so popular that there's a lot of bow hunters that are looking to harvest big bucks. And so I've noticed that these bucks are dropping their alpine behavior, this lax summertime attitude. They're dropping it way sooner. Like they, you know, instead yeah. of being like September 10th and they shed their velvet and start dropping to secondary living, like they feel the pressure. If the season opens September 1st, they start to feel that pressure September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And they're already dropping to this secondary living and living in a lot of timber and it really changes up my tactics for trying to harvest one. You know, instead of trying to bed this mule deer and stock him in his bed, they're disappearing into the deep, dark timber. And so I find myself like I don't like to go in after him, 
you know, too often unless I know their exact position. Uh, but it's forcing me to like, like go in and hunt the edges or hunt him in the evening when he's coming back out, like knowing the timber patch that he's in and trying to play that timber patch. Uh, but, but this pressure like, um, uh, that we're seeing, it sure has changed the animal's behavior. And in turn, like we have to change our tactics as well. And so it gets a lot more difficult to hunt them in that secondary living. And it sounds like, you know, that's where you're hunting them at as well. That's why it's such a high degree of difficulty is they, they just end up catching you a lot or like your buck that you were close to. Uh, like, like getting into range is only half the battle. If even that, like you have to find the animal, you have to get into bow range. And I kind of walk around thinking, all I need to do is get into range and I'll put a good arrow in this buck or this bull. But the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, getting into range is only half the battle. Then trying to get a shot, having that, that deer, that bull stop with a, with a good lane and broadside, not sticks all over to have them in a good spot. That's a whole nother game, and it it's just like keeping that element of surprise, not letting that deer know that you're hunting them or that bull know that you're hunting them. The longer you can play the game, the longer that you can keep the element of surprise, the more chance you have that that animal is going to make a mistake or going to give you that shot. But, you know, I can remember countless times, even this season, where I've been in range of good bucks and good bulls, and I just don't get the angle or don't get the shot. Like, that is... That is a, a huge part of bow hunting that I think a lot of us forget, um, you know, until we're in range and don't get a shot at the trophy we want. Absolutely, Brian. Um, do you, question for you, do you use or do you knock an arrow when you're still hunting in an area where you feel like you know you're going to run into something? Because I have always kind of been on the fence about it. It's a little bit dangerous. Um especially if you're hunting with someone else. But if you're still hunting by yourself, do you knock an arrow or do you just wait till the moment to knock an arrow? Uh, it depends on the situation. So uh, the majority of times I'm not going to have an arrow knocked up as I'm still hunting. Uh, when I tend to knock an arrow is when I think I'm going to get a shot. When I when I think I'm getting really close and that deer's right over the rise, I'm going to knock up before I stalk over that rise. Or if I'm uh, hunting elk and I'm hearing bugles and I'm getting closer and closer and all of a sudden I see a cow or all of a sudden I'm getting in close and I'm, then I'll knock up then. And so I'll stalk a little bit with an arrow up, but it, it's only like that last... 20 yards or that those last handful of yards or when I really think that I'm going to run in and get an opportunity. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to go with uh, uh, my arrow in my quiver and I feel like I'm keeping the element of surprise where for me to win the game, I have to see that animal before he sees me. And so a lot of times I'm going to pick out that animal and have time to knock up, but it, but it is tough. I struggle with that as well as when to knock up. And you're right. Those those arrows are so dangerous and so sharp. And, you know, me and you have been bow hunting for so long. It's like second nature to us. Like, uh, it's almost like you stop feeling the danger of this razor sharp broadhead with all these blades protruding off of it. And all of a yeah. sudden we're hunting steep terrain with an arrow knocked up with this point exposed. And so I try not to forget about safety and I try not to forget about my arrow knocked up. 
and you're right. Like I've been hunting with guys before where they're knocked up following behind me. And all of a sudden I don't feel safe where it's like, Hey, you got to put that arrow away. Like you're walking right behind me or one trip, you could stab that into my calf. And so I try to be cognizant of my safety with those arrows because I just know how dangerous they are. Uh, but you also want to be ready for opportunities. So I, I'm knocking up when I think I'm going to run into something or when I think I'm getting close or when I think I'm going to get a shot. What about you? Yeah, I do the same thing, especially for elk. Um, when I see that first body and I'm starting to get in that red zone, that's when I'll knock up. But, geez, with – with hunting deer the way that I had to this year, the aspens and the few days where I actually was able to still hunt through with some wind or with some moisture on the ground, I felt like there wasn't a chance in hell that I could kill something if I wasn't knocked up. Um, and I didn't like doing it, but I did. So I think I think there's a time and a place, um, but I just kind of wanted your two cents on it. And that, that's kind of what I how I feel about it, too. Yeah, time and a place, right? Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on. Yeah. Wanna be safe but also wanna be ready for encounters. But yeah, it's wild how comfortable we get around all these broadheads and arrows and even in our quiver and on our backpack, like one of those arrows could flip out so easy and you know, there's been a handful of stories of guys that have stabbed themselves with their arrow, either riding a horse or even just going through thick brush and knocks an arrow off. Or I've even heard of guys doing it like after they shoot an animal and they stumble upon their arrow somehow, you know. So, um, man, it'd just be a worst case scenario. So, yeah, I think we always have to be cognitive, cognitive, uh, like safety, uh, cognizant of safety and, and, um, these arrows. And, and that goes for all hunting, really. Like even in these steep cliffs and in these mountainsides, it'd be really easy to take a spill. Uh, you just can't ever forget or let your guard down. Like, um, you know, even, you know, I've been hunting. I have this moose tag this year, which is just, oh dude, it's been so trying. I bet you I have 20 days in. And running into him is such a random occurrence. Like there's big bulls in this unit, and I've ran into quite a few smaller bulls. Uh, in fact, I saw a big bull today. Uh, uh, but he's in my unit, but he was driving my daughter to school. You know, it's often some field that I can't hunt down on the river bottom. But um, it's just been so random running into these things, you know. But uh, they they've taken me to like a lot of bottoms, and then I'm walking through a lot of north face timber, like a lot of downfall. And those logs are really dangerous. They can be so slick and one fall on those things and you could stab a stick into yourself or, you know, a lot of these north facing timber, it's like matchsticks in there. And it's amazing like how many, how much danger is right around us that we don't realize or like danger for me is like on that, you know, I've got a dirt bike that'll hook to the back of my truck that I can, you know, ride roads that I can't go with my truck and use it as access like you're talking about with a four wheeler. But that dirt bike, like... You know, I I was on them as a kid a bit, but I just didn't grow up on them. And so, like, I'm having to relearn these skills on a dirt bike, but it's amazing how dangerous those things are in ruts or big rocks or the minute you take your, your eyes off the road or, uh, you know, it's it's like there's there's so many of these dangers around us. And you probably realize, like, with your you, with your ankle and your, uh, your accident you have, like, how did you do your ankle, Russ? Oh, <laughs> I don't really want to get into it too much, Brian. It was at work, um, okay. but it was it was kind of just the raw deal overall. Shouldn't have happened. It happened. Um, 
my surgeon said it looked like someone fell off a 50-foot cliff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, yeah, he said it was one of the worst he's ever seen. Um, Those accidents happen so quick, don't they? It's like um... – Man, it's just the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye, and you can't stop it once it's already started, or it just happens so quick. And and then you know you beat yourself up over it, or kick yourself like uh, for the next uh, recovery or the next year. You think, why didn't I just see that, or why did I put my foot there? But the truth of the matter is, is it can happen to anybody, and it happens in a blink of an eye, and then you're injured and. Um, you know, it's not only the physical with us, it's the mental, you know, it's like the mental, uh, wondering if it's going to get back to a hundred percent dealing with the pain. Am I going to be able to hunt this season? Like the, the what ifs, uh, seem to get inside my head. Like anytime I have an injury and I haven't had an injury nearly as bad as like your ankle. That's like, sounds like worst case scenario. How's it feeling now? You know, it's kind of a miracle. I, I, uh, I didn't think I'd be able to hunt this year. I talked to Sam Davis, um, our mutual buddy there, and he actually blew out his knee. I think he said he, what did he do? I can't exactly remember, but he screwed up his knee pretty badly. Um, I think it required surgery. I think he couldn't walk for a couple months like me. Um, and we did it right around the same time of the year. And he did it in 2012 or 10. So it was a ways back. And he sent me a picture of a buck or a bull that he shot. And he's like, dude, you can do it. Um, just be positive and just take it one day at a time. And who knows, maybe you'll be able to, to get out there this year. And I did, and I did physical therapy, rehab exercises like three times a day. I had plenty of time. I wasn't at work um, and I couldn't really do anything else. So I was like, well, I might as well get this thing right fast. And um, yeah, when I saw my doctor at, or my surgeon at 12 weeks, he's like, holy crap, dude, how are you, how are you this far along? I'm like, I don't know. Um, I, I was a college athlete, so I have a pretty good understanding of my body and my limitations, how far I can push myself. So that helped. But I think I had a really good surgeon, surgeon, really good physical therapist, which I didn't have a good one at first. I had a dude that was a really nice guy, but he's really outdated in his methodologies like I don't I don't think he stayed up to date at all so I got a different one and it was night and day and started making progress tenfold compared to the last one and so just being really proactive and being positive with myself because it was pretty frustrating in the beginning um I really didn't get out of bed for two months so mm-hmm. Sam helped um another couple buddies that I have gave me some similar stories and um, I've been injured before, nothing like this, but just powered through it, and it, it, uh, I'm way ahead of the game, so I feel pretty blessed about it. It's amazing the the human body, like our ability to uh, recover. Uh, I remember hunting with um, uh, David Wise, like uh, he was the he's the two time Olympic gold medalist, and then uh, won silver this year or this past season yep. and he does like the half pipe skiing and i remember sharing a hunt with him and i remember he he busted his um his femur like uh the the big one in his leg off the half pipe um he came down on it and snapped it and um gosh i remember That's... his attitude and and uh, mental fortitude and the pain he was going through i remember we hunted hawaii and the lava rocks which you've hunted before 
Uh, yeah. You know, but he was just hunting the the roughest, most rugged country, and you you know he had limitations, which he's never had. You know, he's an Olympic athlete, and uh, to watch him persevere through that injury, not only on that hunt, but also in the future, like meeting up with him the next year and seeing him fully recovered, like the human body is amazing. And I've, um, you know, I've had like back tweaks or back injuries and. Um, uh, you know, it takes a long time for the body to heal, almost longer than we think. Or like one of the worst knee injuries I had was an IT band, which is like this intense pain on the outside of the knee. Every step you take, yeah. every downhill, every stair you're on, the roofs hurt so bad. I remember I, I injured it, and I just wouldn't give it time to heal. I'd give it two, three weeks where I wouldn't run or I wouldn't work out, and I'd start feeling guilty, and it'd start feeling better, like pain-free. And then I'd go do a run, and I'd I'd re-injure it. I'd have to start the the process all over again. It was so frustrating. And this went on for six months before I finally just had to give it like a couple months to heal up. And I was able to build it up stronger than it's ever been. And I've never dealt with any injury on that knee again. And it's been you know ten years since I've had that one. But it's it's amazing the human body's ability to heal itself. It just takes time and rest, and it's like the one thing we don't want to give it. But you know, it's also like your physical therapy uh, was probably the key to you getting back so early and being able to hunt the woods. Is just like the the working on the ankle and the surrounding muscles of that uh, had to be so tough, man. Because it's like um. You just make such small gains day by day. It's like the oh. the long duration of things that gets you there. Oh, are you there, Brian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. Oh. oh, I think we cut out there for a second. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah the, the progress is slow for sure. And I think a big piece of it is mental too. Um, I don't – I'm not trying to sound too hippy dippy, but I was really negative in the beginning. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to hunt this year. This is the worst year of my life. Can't take care of my farm. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I didn't make any progress. And I know in that initial phase after surgery, you're not going to make much progress. And then things start progressing down the road. Hmm. But once I had like a little bit of a mindset change, I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but things started happening and it's it's huge. I mean, your your mental approach in life is the biggest thing that you can control and that dictates your success in life, therefore. So um, I, I think that's a huge piece of it as well. I agree wholeheartedly. The power of the mind, right? And it's easy to get in these cynical cycles where you get negative. But, um, you know, and you stated it at the beginning of the podcast, just um, – uh, you, you know, persistence like uh, is your number one uh, asset when hunt when Western hunting and and it you're so right it it goes into play in everything in life. Like I found myself hunting moose and um, so it's it was really tough at the beginning. They were still in their summer habitat and I remember I did you know I was ten twelve days I hadn't even seen a moose. I hadn't seen a cow. I hadn't seen a bull. And I've also hunted moose in Alaska and I started this negative self talk where I did it as a joke at first to my buddies. I'm like, man, I'm the worst moose hunter around. And I did it as kind of a joke, but then I kept repeating it in my head as I was moose hunting, like, God, I'm just a horrible moose hunter. And I started thinking it, and I wasn't seeing any moose, you know, and I started to believe in it, and then I wasn't putting forth the effort needed. 
And I finally had to have a talk with myself where I'm just like, man, it's you're a good hunter. You have a great skill set. Like maybe you don't know this species in this habitat, but your skill sets, uh, uh, they transpose to different species. Like you are a good bow hunter. You just have to keep believing, keep going to these master vantage points, keep doing these hunts at this bottom like you are going to run into a moose. And it was like just that turnaround in my mental approach all of a sudden I started finding them. And like you said, maybe it was the season turned and the hunting got better or whatever it is. But I know there was a direct correlation between my attitude and my mental approach when I switched that and, and started believing in it. All of a sudden I started turning up moose. And I, I still haven't shot one, so I'm not on the top of the mountain yet. But um, like just that, that mental approach to things, it makes such a huge difference, man. It's the power of the mind. And if you if you can believe it, if you can dream it, you can achieve it and and that holds true to so many things in life so i have to catch myself when i get in these bad mental ruts you know whether that's with work or i'm too busy or i get beat down or whatever it is is i have to just step back and look at things and go okay you, you know here's how we're gonna break it down here's how we're gonna achieve it you know we've got to move forward but yeah i find myself in those same mental ruts that you're talking about yeah, I think you're a little bit better than a good hunter too, Brian. Um, you said that a couple times that you're a good hunter. Yeah, you're a little bit better than that. But uh, <laughs> no, that's a side note. But yeah, going back to the mental approach. I mean, in I learned it in baseball. You go up to the plate and you're like, oh man, I hope I get a hit. You're probably not going to get a hit. You go up to the plate and you're like, I'm going to get a hit. I'm going to crush this ball. You get a hit. I mean, not all the time, but you're much more likely. And I just kind of use that my whole life with everything else that I do. And I wish that I did it more in my baseball career, but I kind of learned it a little too late. Um, but not too late to apply it to other things. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, so, Brian, how many days do you have left for your moose tag? I have till the end of November, but I've got a busy season coming up. So I sold my house. Yeah. I've got to move November 15th to November 30th. Um, so... Yeah, and I've got uh, one muley trip that I'm taking at the beginning of November that's going to be like my muley rut trip. Uh, but I do still have time. I do still have like six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. And um, I'm just real limited uh, with my workload right now. So, you know, I, my last hunting day was Sunday. And then um, I've just been going crazy here, working till like eight or nine at night, trying to free myself up. But I think I get to go tonight again, Friday morning, and then this weekend. So I'll just camp out and spend every free moment. And it's starting to turn on, Russ. Like I saw 13 moose on Saturday, which is my all-time record. 13 different Shiras moose. And I did see a good bull that I went in on, and I hunted hard for – uh, three hunts trying to catch up to him again, uh, just never could find him. And I, I did pass a smaller bull at 40 yards and uh, got into some cows. And so uh, it's heating up and they're rutting. And in fact, the big bull that I saw this morning in that field was with a cow. Uh, so it was pretty cool to see him. And it, it just um, reiterates, you know, how bad I want one and that I want to keep putting effort forth. And if I give it my all and I don't kill the moose I'm after, it's not the end of the world for me. Like, I just want the experience of hunting Shiras in the mountains. I've been waiting 20 years for this. So I just want to make sure I give it my all and leave it all on the field. And, um, 
yeah, I think I think it's going to come together. And and during this period, it's it's wild because I had like a buddy that was out elk hunting. Actually, I've had a handful of buddies that have stayed with me and that are elk hunting. And so uh, from my vantage point where I was glass and moose, I saw a good six point bull one day. And so I told my buddy, I said, hey, I saw a six point bull up here. Go in here, hunt this spot in there. And he goes in and then he runs into a great bull moose like in bow range and takes oh. a photo of it. And so I'm like, well, you know, right on. It's like great to have guys out glassing and help me out. And then I go look for that moose for a couple days and just can't turn him up. And in the meantime, while I'm looking for that bull moose, like he goes over and hunts another drainage and then runs into even a bigger bull in there in bow range and takes a photo of that. Like he ran into two big bulls, like I think two days in a row. And here I've been hunting 15, 20 days and I haven't even seen a shooter yet. You know, I saw my first shooter on Saturday. Um, so it's it's such a random occurrence to run into a big bull moose as their you know their their densities are so low and then they're timbered up a lot and so I just I just need to get lucky keep spending time in moose country uh, uh, keep hunting bottoms keep grabbing master vantage points driving roads is a part of it as well he saw the one bull driving the road um, wow. so a bit of chasing my tail and my buddies are seeing them and I can't quite you know, catch up to him, but it's, it's all part of the journey. Like I am embracing it and having a bunch of fun and, and, uh, I will run into one here. I, I know eventually if I just keep spending time in the woods, I'm going to get lucky, but it's, it's been a great experience thus far. Like a, the ultimate challenge, you know, it's like, uh, to have a species that really challenges me like 15, 20 days trying to catch up to one, you know, it has to be me questioning my sanity and my hunting ability and everything else. Like it's a, a really cool challenge. It's like a new species in a new habitat so i am enjoying it immensely it's just you know i feel a bit of pressure on my shoulders but i just got to keep going every waking moment every free moment i have whether that's an evening hunt a morning hunt i just got to go so i think my gas bill is probably going to be about a couple thousand bucks this month as i driving to my unit or whatever but i just got to keep going yeah so the weight of a of a amazing tag like that um must be a little bit heavy on the shoulders, but sounds like you have a really good approach. I've actually never drawn anything that's worth talking about. Um, everything that every tag that I've ever had is just an over the counter or a one, one point tag. So, um, I'll draw a pretty good elk tag in two years in Colorado. And unless there's a lot of point creep, which there probably will be. So two to three years, I'll say, um, and I'll try to take a, a note from your playbook and not stress too much and just try to embrace the moment and enjoy it. Um, because you got to wait a long time before you do it again. If you do. It's wild. Like so much of us, um, uh, consistent bow hunters we do, we just hunt easy to draw units like these tough to draw tags. They're tough to get, but the, the beautiful thing is Russ is you built your bow hunting skill set to a point to where when you do draw a coveted tag or a really good tag and there's quality animals, like you have the skills to go in there and, and, and know what a, what a, what a good bull looks like or the good bull that you're after, you know how to field judge them and then know how to hunt them. I think that's so important. Like I can't imagine drawing one of these tags and, and not putting in the work in these easy to draw units to build your hunting skill set to a point where it, you know, it's really easy to draw a good tag and, and, uh, uh, not not harvest a good animal in there, you know. Like it it isn't easy when you have a good tag either. There's just the the opportunity there, the possibility there, but you still have to go in and and uh, hunt your butt off. I bet. So are these moose? Um, are they pretty nomadic? 
have you found or are they kind of sticking to certain drainages? Yeah, they're pretty nomadic um, in their summer range habitat. So earlier September, they were really holding to the drainages that they lived in. And now the rut's really kicking in. And so they're really nomadic and moving. And so I don't see a moose in this. I haven't seen one in the same place where I've seen one prior yet. So like mm-hmm. you see a bull in one spot, it's like you got to go for him or try to catch up to him because he won't be there tomorrow or he's he'll be moving country. So yeah, they do seem pretty nomadic right now. Oh, that's exciting. I mean, definitely sounds like a challenge that you're up for and I have no doubt that you'll get one or at least have an opportunity. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm working for, for sure. Yeah, it's um, it's been really fun, and it's cool to look at a mountain range different. Like, I've looked at this mountain range to, to hunt elk, but moose locations are just different. Moose vantages are different. Um, uh, I've learned a ton, you know, and they, they run bottoms more and more wetlands and willow country. Um, you know, I, I'm only seeing them like the first half an hour of light and then they're, they're pretty well timbered up. And so doing a lot of still hunting and, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's challenging me to my core, which is a really good thing. That's going to improve my hunting skill set. Whether I kill one or not, I'll be better for it. I'm sure. Um, so have you ran into any elk or bucks that you probably wouldn't have found if you weren't hunting moose in those locations absolutely yeah i mean i i killed my bull in this mountain range uh uh, due to summer scouting in there for moose and then i knew i had the moose tag so it was like the only unit i wanted to spend time in and so yeah i ended up killing my bull in a in a brand new spot i ended up finding a drainage that was really good elk hunting my buddy dan killed one in there and then um even this late season some of these vantage points i'm finding good six point bulls that are unpressured nobody hunting them and so it's like yeah i'll i'll be back to this spot uh uh even if i don't have a moose tag i'll continue to hunt this range so man i have learned a ton and i did turn up a batchy herd of uh six mule deer bucks the other day I thought about going for him. I'm just so uh, driven on this moose that I want to spend all my time. But I, uh, I did turn up some bucks on the top of this range, so I know where those things are at. So yeah, I have learned a ton about this range and a, a ton about hunting elk in this range. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely um, be using a lot of the information I gained while hunting these moose. That's pretty cool, man. Um, yeah, I, I kind of figured you'd say that because especially mule deer, like you find them in all different elevations on the mountain. And, um, I've found some in some low PJ stuff that are just giants, but it'd be so hard to hunt them that I don't even really bother, but it's cool to know that they're there. And then I can go find sheds later on too, which is kind of neat, but, um, right on dude. That's, that's, uh, that's a heck of an experience you're having there. God, super fun. Yeah. It, uh, it, I got the tag, and of course it came in my busiest year in history where I'm building a personal house. I've got to move out of my house. I've got four other ones I'm contracting. Like I took a lot of work, but you know, it's, it's a blessing whenever I get it. And so, you know, I wish I had the whole season, but it's just not in the cards right now. So for me, it's like every free morning, every free evening, every weekend, uh, work late into the night to get things done so that I can hunt for the next day or the next couple days. So, uh, yeah, it's been trying, but just like you were saying, like with your recovery or with your hunting, a big part of it for me is just keeping my head in the game and doing what I can do, control the controllables and, uh, let the cards fall where they do. But yeah, man, it's been super fun. Uh, what about you? You got a late season hunt this year? 
I do. Um, so I didn't, like I said, I didn't shoot a bull for the first time in a long time. I was just so focused on bucks that, and also, I mean, on another note, my ankle probably wasn't ready to pack out 100 to 150 pound loads in the beginning of September. So there were a few bulls that I just passed up because of where they were and my limitations physically, which is totally new to me because anytime I see a decent bull, I'm going after it. <laughs> so, and even if there is a really good mule deer buck that I'm trying to kill, I'll, I'm, I'm an opportunist. So it was a little bit different not going after some, some bulls this year, especially early, but, um, I didn't end up killing a bull. I got pretty close. I passed up some mediums, some small medium raghorns. And, um, I got a good look at like a 310 to 330 bull. Um, and he kind of ruined me. So that's the only bull that I wanted to kill. And that's a pretty, that's a huge bull. It's a huge bull. Because most of the bulls that you see where I live and where I hunt is like 240 to 280. 280 is a big bull. So 310, 320, 330, like you're getting up there. And when I saw him and I'm like, oh crap, now how can I shoot that raghorn that's at like 30 yards? So he <laughs> ruined me. I didn't, didn't end up killing him, got close. Um, wind swirled, just didn't pan out. So um, I need to get an elk. I've got a cow rifle tag and Every year I shoot one on like day one or two, but watch this be the year that I don't, and I only have two days to hunt it. So that's coming up early November, and then um, so that's kind of a meat mission. And then I've got um, a mule deer rut tag, and I can actually get two. So um, last year I had a crazy experience out there in the prairie um, hunting mule deer in the rut. It's it's kind of nuts um, how difficult that hunt is. It's probably the most difficult hunt that I've ever been on. Like you said, I hunted in Lanai for Axis, and that was a challenge. But these deer, I mean, there's 30 of them. <clears throat> 30. We talked about this last time I was on the podcast. 30 to 40 deer between the couple bucks and the 25, 30 does that they have. And it's wide open country. There's no vegetation taller than a yucca. So you're crawling 90% of the day. And I actually got a bursa, sat, a bursitis on my knee last year, blew up like a balloon from all the crawling that I did on my knees. But I did find an eight by eight symmetrical buck. And he was on the younger side. He's like four. And if I find him this year, he'll be incredible. Um, but I was hunting him mostly, and there's another really big buck in that group, but he had pretty terrible genetics. He was a three by three with 22 inch G2s, and he's probably 12 inches wide. Um, just a funky 325 pound deer. And they were kind of rolling in the same area and competing for does, and I could have killed that three by three plenty of times. Never did get an opportunity to shoot the eight by eight, and they ended up fighting one night. My cousin was with me. I was on a stock for the eight by eight. I was in this little cut, so I couldn't see anything. And he's up above, and he can see everything happening. And they're fighting, and that huge three by three pins the eight by eight um, four times to the ground, rolled them multiple times, and 
the next thing I know, my cousin texts me and is like, yeah, the eight by eight's kind of just trotting off, getting the heck out of here. I'm like, oh God. And the three by three, we found the next day dead in a ditch about a hundred yards from where they fought. It was one of the, one of the crazier things that I've experienced hunting mule deer. Um, but didn't end up killing one because, um, the one killed the other and then the other one ran off. So I'm looking forward to that. If you can't, if you can't, uh, gather from my excited talking about it, but I'm really hoping I can find that deer from last year because he's just going to be a giant. So I've got that hunt and the cow elk and that'll pretty much wrap it up for me so that is wild that buck fight man to experience that like a a lot of times you see him posture you see him move but it's rare to catch an actual fight and when they go for it uh it is all out chaos it's not like testing each other out they are trying to kill each other i I've seen like one really good mule deer buck fight where the buck had uh, got the other buck pinned to the ground and was just tearing him up. But that's wild that that uh, they killed the three by three. Uh, Do you see where he was stabbed at? So surprisingly, there's not a hole on him. Um, so like I said, I didn't really get to see it. My cousin watched the whole thing and he was so dumbfounded by the intensity of it that he didn't even think to video it. And he had a really good camera. Um, up on that knob so he definitely could have but he was just like i think his jaw was on the on the sand um so that night the three by three at the end of the fight i kind of backed out and then i saw where they all were when i got eyes on him again he just had his head down and stood there till dark so we backed out and then i looked all day the next day for the eight by eight never turned him up and i covered probably 15 miles um so he got the hell out of there and um, just kind of randomly was walking along right at last light. I'm like, well, today's not the day. And I had a couple days left. So walking back and I looked down into this little bowl and there's the dead deer. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? So I dropped down in and sure enough, it's that three by three. And I turned up his hide in every which way that I could against the grain and did not find a single hole on him. So I think, I think he had a heart attack. Yeah, exhaustion or something, right? Yeah, he just rutted himself to death. Wow, that is wild, man. Um, yeah. Hmm. I, I'm with you. Those late season deer, I think those are one of the highest degree of difficulty with all the eyes, and then, um, you know, it's usually not the buck that busts you. It's usually one of the does. But, man, I just have fits trying to kill those late-season rutting bucks like that. It seems like you, I hunt them fairly aggressive where I almost hunt them like elk where if I see them, I go try to get into them and try to get close and then adapt to the situation that I'm given. Uh, but, boy, yeah. I have just countless stalks that, that fail or I get caught or I – you know, it seems like it takes a perfect stalk. Like you have to do everything right and then – you almost need a little luck on your side too, or that buck to work into you. Those late season bucks, man, are they tough to kill. And I know every season you're chasing them and you find some giants in that late season. Uh, they are just not easy to get a good arrow in, are they? No, not at all. And um, like I mentioned, those bigger, older ones typically have 20, 30 does. So what they'll do is they'll bet on the leeward side of a hill. Like I said, there's no vegetation. So they'll bet on the leeward side of a hill and, each one of those does will bed facing a slightly different angle. 
So they've got every single direction covered and the winds at their back. So you have, you have about a 1% chance of getting <laughs> 80 yards. And even if you do get within 80 yards of them, there's wind. Oh wait. So you, the, the, the stars have to align and, it's the biggest challenge that I have all year. And I kind of, I think it's probably my favorite hunt of the year. I've, I'm in the game every day, but I've had a couple years where I haven't even drawn back my bow. So. Yeah. Likewise, those things are so difficult for sure. It takes a perfect stock. It's, um, it really sharpens uh, a guy's skills as well. Chasing them, you know, it's like adapting to the situation you're given. And so you rely so much on your hunting instincts to see them before they see you to adapt to that situation, to know what you can get away with and what you can't to, to keep playing the game as long as you can to hopefully get a chance at them. And sometimes you know, you're trying to cut them off or they go over a hill and you're trying to race to that hill to catch them. Uh, there, there's so many factors that come into play, but really it's just those hunting instincts and it really sharpens them and makes me better for everything else I hunt. But they, they are no easy feat, man. They are so difficult, but I'm with you as I think, um, it's one of the funnest hunts I do. Like hunting the rut is just action. And some of the stuff I get to see with a bow in my hands in that late season is just absolutely incredible. And it seems like that muley rut lasts quite a while too, you know, starting off, you know, late October, the first part of November, and then gosh, it'll go midway through December. And then you can even chase it January down South, you know? So, uh, I just absolutely love that season and see some great bucks. They're really tough to kill, but man, is it fire. Totally. Um, I, my standards aren't as high out there because the genetics are kind of hit and miss. Like you'll find some really bad genetic old bucks and then you'll find some of those ridiculous deer like that eight by eight that I found last year and they're living in the same area. So you either have really good or really bad. Um, so I'm basically looking for a Pope and young buck with some age to it. And, um, you can actually kill two bucks where I hunt. So, I probably should have killed that three by three that I had lots of opportunities to kill last year. And then I probably would have had a good chance of killing that eight by eight. Um, and I could have got both of them, but it just, it didn't pan out. I think I actually texted you. I was 90 yards from that eight by eight. He was bedded down with a couple does and he had four does. And I'm like, Brian, thanks so much for all the, the information and knowledge that you've passed on to me over the years, because that has led to me being, you know, 90 yards from this 195 inch deer and I'm going to kill him. And you're like, dude, you're going to get him. Send me a picture. And he kicked this doe out of a bed. He's actually asleep. This is a question I have for you. So he's asleep head on the ground. The does are asleep, no wind, 90 yards, as good of a shooter as you are. You don't have to answer this. But as good of a shooter as you are, if you had him broadside at 90 yards asleep, would you stand up to your knees and shoot him? Mm. 195-inch beer. Man, that is, um, that's a tough one, right? It's a little bit longer than I want that shot for sure. Yep. Man, I think the smarter play would be to pay, be patient and to wait for a better shot like you did. Like, um Gosh, if if I was 10 yards closer, I'd probably put one in them, you know, or 15 yards is about all I'd need to really feel comfortable 
gosh, there's just so much that can go wrong on a long shot like that, you know? Um, yep. but totally calm, no wind. Uh, I also shoot better from my feet than I do from my knees. I'm about 10 or 15 yards better from my feet than I am my knees. So coming to my knees, trying to make a long shot like that, I don't know. I think I, I think I would have held off and continued trying to play the game like you did. Uh, I, I just think that it's just too much room for error for me. And like the, I don't, I don't, I think, you know, it's easy to sit here and say that. I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but um, I, I definitely uh, think I would have sided with what you did. I would have kept playing the game and looked for a little bit better shot on them. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it. I mean, the day before I went on that hunt, I went to, I go to, I, I shoot a lot and I went to our 3D range locally and I shot like, three arrows at this moose that's a hundred yards and I put all three of them touching on the heart. So it's like, I dialed in and that's in the back of my brain. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm so good right now. There's no wind and they're all asleep. And I just, I, I couldn't make a decision and I ended up just waiting him out while he ends up standing up, kicking a doe out of her bed and the doe runs straight away from us. Just like, and the other three does are like, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> but she just ran dead ass away from us as fast as she could. And he followed her, and that was that. Um, and then that evening, he ended up getting uh, ran off by the other deer. So you just never know what's going to happen out there in the rut. I mean, I think I think a big piece of the puzzle is that if you're hunting four-year-old bucks, is what I noticed, does that age class they're a little squirrely during the rut. Those older deer are a little more calm. They, they, they conserve their energy more, but those four-year-olds, they're, they're just revved up and ready to go. And I mean, I'm looking for four or better, so I'm not really even concerned about the two, three, three-year-old deer, but starting around that five-year-old, six-year-old mark, I think that that's a little less likely to happen where you're going to get a buck just chasing a doe that's pretty calm that buck's not going to waste energy unnecessarily and i've noticed that over the years like that three by three didn't really didn't really do anything unpredictable but those four-year-old deer that i was seeing out there last year they were just you never knew what they were going to do next that's good insight yeah i hadn't noticed that before but now that you mention it i can think back and uh you're right they're uh uh, they're just full of it. Those um, those younger, mature bucks, you know, trying to get everything they can get. Yeah, that's really good insight, Ross. Well, uh, dude, and you never know. Like maybe it'll be a two-year quest, and you'll find that eight by eight, and and you'll have another uh, year of mass on them, and uh, uh, another year of maturity on them. So you never know. You catch up to that buck and kill him this year, and it was the best choice you ever made not to shoot at him at that ninety. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah. Well, I'll be pulling yeah. for you, man. Um, I really appreciate your, your friendship over the years and really appreciate you taking the time and jumping on the podcast, man. Um, great buck this year. Congratulations on that. And congratulations on your recovery of your ankle and uh, feeling back a bit closer to normal. So uh, I'll be pulling for you in the late season and I just really appreciate you. Thanks, Brian. I do. I feel the same way. And uh, you're a heck of a guy and you're a great role model for a lot of young guys like me, although I'm not that young anymore, but <laughs> guys that are younger than you and older than you, you're a great, great role model. You, you live the right way. You take care of your family, you work hard and you follow your passions. So 
it's a beautiful thing. Oh, thanks so much, Russ. Um, you're the man. Let's keep in touch, and we'll talk soon. You too, man, and good luck with that moose. Thanks so much. All right. Okay. All right, bye. Bye, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, such a fun conversation with Russ. That guy is so knowledgeable, such a great hunter, uh, just has great insight into bow hunting, and then um, couldn't be uh, more happy for him harvesting this great late-season buck, just a big old heavy mature one. He killed an early-season buck as well. Uh, the guy's just an amazing bow hunter, an amazing person as well. So uh, deepest congratulations to him, and I sure appreciate him taking the time and jumping on the podcast with me. Um, want to thank our sponsors real quick. Uh, want to thank Matthews. Go check out that new bow. I can't wait to get one in my hands. Man, those things look amazing. It seems like every year, you know, the improvement on these bows, they make maybe a one to three percent improvement on each of these bows. And so, you know, when you add that up over three or five years, you get a, a totally different bow uh, that that you can really notice the difference at. So, year to year. You know, there's small changes that they get better performance and better forgiveness, but this year they knocked it out of the park. Like, I don't know what the percentage is. It's better, but it just looks like it's quieter, more forgiving. Uh, and I just love these Matthews platforms. The last five years have just been amazing bows. That V3X did so good for me this season. So impressed by it. So uh, get out and shoot one of those things. Uh, can't wait to get one in my hands. Also want to thank Zamberlin, uh, just the highest quality boots and shoes, and all these new offerings in these these lightweight shoes, under two pounds per pair, waterproof. Man, me and my buddies have been hunting in these things nonstop and putting in a ton of miles. I just absolutely love them. Uh, but again, a lot of footwear comes down to personal preference. They have all different types of boots and shoes. Make sure to go check them out. They're producing a great product. Also, check out Black Ovis, great name brands. Uh, also have all the other top name brands, great shopping there. Uh, so make sure to check them out if you need anything for your upcoming hunts or need to make any upgrades. And also check out Camel Fire. Uh, 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours can really save you some bucks on some top-notch gear. Uh, check out everything we're doing at Eastman's. And, um, man, I'm going to get this house moved. In fact, I got this computer sitting here so I can get this podcast out to you guys and then... Uh, pretty much throwing things in box i've been moving the last two days and um yeah just trying to get everything i'm moving it all into the new house i got the garage finished and painted so it's all going into that garage i got a little vacation rental in town so i maybe got three months left on this new house and it's going to be sad you know to to leave this house um that i'm living in now it's such a beautiful home and you know i built it all on blood sweat and tears and i just love this little house and i've done all the maintenance to it did all the work to it you know of course i built the whole entire thing and um and i have such a love for this little house and um you know it's going to be great for the new owners it's going to be a little sad to leave for sure i definitely have a connection with it but uh can't wait. The new house does have an archery range in the garage. Uh, uh, I've got more space in there. The house is just finishing out fantastic. I got that forever barnwood in there for beams and trim. Oh, man, that stuff is just beautiful. Uh, so that house is going to be one of a kind. I'm really proud how it's coming out. So I don't know. Give me another two, three months, maybe four months at the outside. Try not to put a deadline on myself, and um, I'll be moving into that new house, which will be really nice for me and really nice for my family. So I'm um, super pumped on that. And um, 
all right, I better go pack some boxes, keep moving. Guess the uh, moving is horrible. But between, like, uh, this isn't bad. I'm going to move everything into that garage, like I say, so it's all going to be at the new house. Um, the last time I sold my house and built this one, I moved four times in two years before I could get into this house. So this one isn't nearly as bad as I just have one move and we'll move our clothes down to the vacation rental. We'll live in that for a couple months and then be moving into the new house. So, uh, super fortunate to be able to do it in these tough times with rising interest rates and everything going on. So man, we're, um, we're pretty fortunate. We're going to get that thing done and, um, yeah, hopefully put together another hunt here. I'm just, it's killing me not to be out for rutting mule deer here in the end of November when it's so hot, but, uh, I'll, I'll be able to put a hunt together and then, um, yeah, it's just, um, so fun to chase our dreams and chase our passion, isn't it? I just love it with every fiber of my being, as I know you guys do too. Uh, and just can't wait for the next adventure. So, um, thanks so much you guys for all the support and listening in every week. Uh, just, um, so appreciative. Uh, be able to to make my way in this hunting industry and um so man i really appreciate you guys appreciate you listening in every week and uh congratulations on your season to your guys that have sent me uh photos and pictures and um man it's just uh we're students of the game constantly improving and uh it's it's uh that's why we love this uh this game so much or why we love this this hunting in the backcountry so much so um we're all kindred spirits here. We have a great community, and I uh, just really appreciate your guys' support. Oh, make sure to go check out that new Beyond the Grid, uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. Really proud at how that film came out. It's hunting the Badlands and um, chasing some good bucks around, and uh, took me a couple different trips, one with my buddy Dylan and then one with my cameraman. I had uh, uh, little Joe out there, Josiah, and uh, he filmed it for me, but um, just like... Uh, mind-bending how far you can hike out there and it was all backpack hunting carrying everything we need on our backs and um that's just an amazing trip i'm really missing out not doing it this year in fact my dad just was out there with my family and i couldn't make it work i uh i had some stuff come up some uh, like a family emergency that i had to take care of here um so i couldn't make it out there with my family which uh i really regret but dad ran those guys out there dad ended up shooting a buck out there and um but yeah, they were hunting out in that same country that I love. But um, yep, keep plugging all a guy can do. Okay, I got to go get moved, you guys. Thanks again. I appreciate you. We'll check in with you next week.